Hello, Guillermo. How are you? Hey, good morning, Sid. Good and yourself? I'm great. Thank you. Uh, how's everything in Venezuela? Uh, things are, you know, uh, on and off with, with uh, the world situation. Some weeks are better than others, but um, the family is good. And um, we, we try to concentrate on moving forward and plans ahead and actions ahead. So it's, it's all good. Everybody's healthy. So how are things with you? Mm, they're all right. I mean, right now we're in a lockdown, so not really allowed to go outside. But uh, I mean, we're okay with, you know, maintaining distance and uh, trying to do whatever we can online. That's why we have, we're having podcasts. Yeah, yeah. no, I understand. Yeah. No, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, so Guillermo, let's get started. Why don't you tell us, tell us about your journey growing up, how, how were you brought up in Venezuela or somewhere else? Yeah, well, I was, I was actually born in France. Uh, my parents were going to school there, um, but I was brought up in Venezuela. We moved back when I was like one or two. Um, then I grew in Venezuela until I was 17. And then I decided to, to move to Denmark for a year because I'm very passionate about learning new languages and new cultures. Um, so I went there as an exchange student. I, I, I was studying and I was playing uh, football at the time. Uh, so I stayed there for 11 months and then came back to Venezuela for one year. Um, and, and then I, was, I joined a team and got uh, a spot in a very good university here in Venezuela. But that's when the university, there was a tryout that came from the U.S. And there were three universities that came to try out people. And I got selected. So I moved to the U.S. to, to go to school and, and to play soccer. Um, so, so even from my early ages, I had to move around a lot. So that's, that's for my youth. Then... You know, then at the, at the pro level, I had also had to move to different countries to work. So um, sometimes I don't know where my home is, mm. so, so right. to speak. Interesting, yes. interesting. So how long were you in the U.S.? When was that? Well, the, well, the first time in Iowa, uh, I was a student. It was four years, right? And so I went to school, graduated, finished my uh, psychology degree, my modern foreign languages degree. Um, came back to Venezuela to play professional for a year. And uh, during my time in college, uh, I had, I was blessed to, to be, to meet with my mentor. Um, he's like a dad to me. Uh, he was my coach, uh, my mentor. And me and him, we had an agreement that I was going to play professional for one year and I was going to come back and work for him. So that's what I did. I played for one year and then um, I decided to go back with him and they became, that's when I started my coaching career. Um, from a very early age, 26, um, 26, 27, I started my coaching career. Um, then I was there for seven more years at that school. So it's 11 altogether. Um and then I, I left to start my journey at the professional level because I was coaching college. Uh, then I went the next step and started like uh, 
coaching at a pro level. Hmm. Interesting. That's very. That's in an interesting journey. Why was the contract that you just play professional for one year? I mean, you were very young. You could have probably taken it further as well, right? Yeah. Well, there there were different variables that came to account, and 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 they they also inspire me to to get into the field that I'm in in the sports psychology field, right? Um, so I was brought up from early ages in my youth uh, football system and also in college, I was all about, it was all about the team. It was all about the team, about being a family, supporting each other. And at the pro level, sometimes you, you encounter uh, certain situations. They actually go against being a family and being supportive. Like I had, I had an experience with a guy that, you know, he was, we played since we were like seven years old and, you know, we happened to be at the same professional team and he was trying to get me injured for like two, three weeks because I was playing his spot. So we were competing for a spot and those kind of things, even though I enjoy playing professional and, and when I decided to be done, I got offered like a really good offer to continue, but I, it, it, it didn't seem right at that moment to be in that place. And it wasn't about the team. It was about maybe the, the system in, in, in Venezuela that I felt that it needed to improve and to make it improve, we needed to get ready and get prepared. The more we have people prepared, the better we're going to, you know, work the grassroots and, and the development. So I wanted to impact um, more. I wanted to impact numbers and in order to impact educational system and, um, and, and soccer and football, you got to get prepared. So for me, it was an easy decision to say, you know what, this is not right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it different, but I'm going to go my route and create my journey so I can contribute to the field of, of, of soccer uh, in a different way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And... Uh, were you allowed also to probably play, you know, professionally in the U.S.? Like if you wanted to, like probably even if possible, represent the national team over there or you? Well, the, at, at the time, I did do some trials at the time um, for internationals. It was very difficult. Uh, I mean, I've had... I can, I can remember like two, three players that were from Colombia, Trinidad and Tobago, that if they were playing at this time in the U.S., they would get a professional contract like this. But back then, it was, it was very, very difficult. I mean, from my, from my school, we got one player that made it to MLS. Uh, he was from Scotland, Kevin Tudor. Um, and so it was difficult. And in... And, and, and I don't mind saying I wasn't the best. I, I was a very hard worker, but I wasn't the best. And sometimes, you know, you, you get a hard worker who's got more time than you and they get the spot. So that's that's how life goes. So Interesting. All right. So what drew you towards sports psychology? What, what do you mean? What's... What drew you towards sports psychology? Like there's so many fields you could have uh, obviously. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, so my it's a funny story. I went to my first day in school 
in, in Iowa, I went to class. I had signed up for computer science and totally different than psychology, right? And I go into the class and, and I remember the professor writing the algorithms where it was zero, 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 one, and zero, zero, and a number of zeros for a one. And I was like, oh man, I'm gonna be in trouble here. I don't like this. Right. Um, and so I only lasted one class and I knew it wasn't for me. Um, so that's when my mentor and coach played an important role. Uh, he saw something in me uh, because he's a, he's a sports psychologist. And, and he's like, hey, why don't we look at this? And we started reading books together where every time we had a game on the bus, he would give me a chapter. And I actually, I still have one of the books that he gave me at the time. And I would just read it and it was fascinating. Like this uh, sports psychology to me is fascinating because it made sense. It made sense. Like I was, it was very easy for me to connect the dots maybe because I was playing, maybe because um, it was my, what my passion is. And I added, I felt like I added another platform to my passion and, 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 and football and psychology became, I, I don't see them as two separate things. I mean, yes, I'm a coach. Yes, I'm a sports psychologist, but I don't see them as two separate things. I see them as, you know, every coach, it's psychologist, every psychologist, you know, impacts the life of people. So um, it, it, and, and it, and it grew during my coaching career because the more I study and the more I experience different situations with, with student athletes, um, that finding ways to help them assist them getting that potential to reach that level, that peak performance. That was something that really um, it's it's self fulfilling, you know. It's it's to me it's, it's way more important to see somebody, you know, reach their potential, overcome situations than just winning a title. That's what you know fulfills me. So it, that's why I'm in this field. Do you feel? I know they're all. I mean, every coach has their own place in the team or in sports but do you feel it's better to not be the best technical coach but have like a balance of sports psychology and a good amount of technical knowledge in sports as compared to just focusing on being a technical coach do you feel you can have more impact this way So very good questions. I, I think that the day you forget about that you're working with people and you think that it's just the X's and O's, the tactical part, you know, it's it's a formula for failure. And the day you go, you know, a hundred percent people, and because you also want to have a balance, uh, but I think it's you know the it, depends on the level as well of, of what level you're working with. But I would say it's at the professional level, it's more about the people and, you know, tactics, you know, everybody, because if, if you don't have the means, and I'm not saying this, that I do because I'm a, I'm a young coach and I'm, I'm learning, I'm growing, 
But for example, you can have the best tactics in the world. But if you don't know how to transfer that knowledge mm -hmm. in a speech, if you don't inspire doing that speech, if you don't you know, connect with people, if you don't know what situation the person is going through and how can you assist them, then it doesn't matter how much tactical you have, right? So it, it's, it's, it's knowing the audience that you're working with so you can speak their language. Um, you know, you want to speak their language so communication is more um, effective. And through that, you know, you find the different buttons that people have that you can press to inspire, to make them buy in into your tactical. So I was just speaking with with a, with a national team uh, head coach of a South American uh, nation um, last week uh, over a Zoom call. And he was telling me that me, he got prepared in Germany. So all his coaching badges he did in Germany. And he said that in Germany, if you do a course that every week it gives you five hours of, of tactical analysis of tactical stuff. They also give you the same amount of hours in sports psychology, because when you're talking about sports psychology, see, it's because you, you want to know like how to manage a team that is battling for relegation. How do you manage a team that is winning is, is dominating the league? How do you manage one that is second place and chasing, right? How do you manage a bad run? Um, how do you manage success? How do you manage when, you know, your players go to a national team and then they come back after not being with your team, but they have to play? There, there's so many situations. Um, I would, um, with that coach, he was telling me that one of his experiences in in Brazil, they had a sports two sports psychologists for the players, uh, and one sports psychologist just for the coaches, right? Because it, you know the, there's a lot of strategy in motivational strategy, leadership strategies. How are you gonna go about you know sending a message? What kind of intervention can you do? When? How do you recognize when there's time for 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 a break? Because players, they're not robots. You, you need to manage their load, not only the physical load, but the mental load. Um, so there's a lot of aspects, the, the psychology, um, even in the youth system. I work a lot with coaches. Um, you know, I analyze what kind of words they say, what's their body language, um, what kind of psychological aspects does the exercise have? right, that you can challenge the players mentally, teach them from early ages how to deal with frustrations. I consult a lot of parents in sports because, you know, you, you can't, you, you can't rule out people that influence the life of the athletes, right? Because, you, you know, you have five pillars in sport. You have the tactical, you have the technical, you have the fitness, you have the psychological and you have the psychosocial, right? Why do I make the distinction between psychological and psychosocial? 
right now the whole world is going through a psychosocial situation, right? The the pandemic, you know, all that. The psychological aspects is the are the mental skills that you can teach athletes to deal with different situations, right? How do you get concentrated? How do you become more confident as a player? How do you deal with frustration? That's that's very sport specific. And of course, the psychosocial has connection with the psychological, but they're all gonna be interconnected. So you you wanna make sure that in, in a team, in a club, that you have people covering all the, the areas of need for high performance. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. Um, I want to, you know, get into the psychosocial part for a bit. But before that, I had a question earlier that I have to ask before I forget. Does sports psychology change as time progresses? Why I ask this is because, okay, so this is, we obviously don't know what's going on inside the club. I'm speaking from an outsider's perspective. Jose Mourinho's case, the type of person he is and the type of players he produced, he's obviously a legend. He's a genius back in the day. I mean, a few years back, right? But as time has progressed, he, I feel, hasn't really changed with the times um, in terms of his man management style. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like, uh, he's still the same way he was probably 10 or 15 years back. And it did work for him 15 years back. But right now, uh, he's having fall, you know, fallouts with every team he, uh, you know, he manages. So this psychology change with the time and do you need to change with time as well? Or is psychology something that that is same and people should get into that mode? Well, um, as, a, as a rule, Steve, uh, I don't like speaking about specifics of other coaches because it's not that I don't like, it's just I don't have all the information to right. create an opinion. Right. Because, for example, if I'm watching a game and I see this play, this team playing a system, and I don't know what it was said in the, in the, in the, in the pregame talk. I don't know mm-hmm. how they prepare the week. I wasn't there to see, are, is the team really doing what the coach asked them to do? Was the method good? I, I don't know. So it's, it's unfair to, to, to speak because, you know, you, you see uh, Materazzi when, when Mourinho won the, the Champions League with Inter and, you're going to say that he's a very personal guy. Um, and then you see him with, with Pogba and Dele Alli, you might get a different perspective. So, But but we're not there on a mm. daily basis to right. really see what's right. really going on. Um, obviously, he's a, he's a great coach. and But from the psychology point of view, and let's concentrate on that, um, back in the days, even the way it was thought how high performance has, was reached from people. The old school type of coaching, they're screaming, grabbing you by the shirt, come on, let's go, mm. that kind of attitude. That has changed because, mm. you know, now, now instead of 
thinking that the more the more you you get somebody hyped up, the the better they're gonna perform. That's not true because you can get too hyped, and then your performance goes low as well. So it's 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 finding that balance. It's not a line. It's a it's an it's called inverted U. It's mm-hmm. the inverted U theory where everybody because a chess player cannot get his pre-game competition cannot be the same than a, than a, an American football defender because they're going to do one is more analytical and the other one is more reactive. So that, you know, if, if the chess player starts like, Oh, come on, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make this many moves and kind of like the Muhammad Ali approach that he was going to box, right? Very aggressive in his pregame. Mm-hmm. If the chess players, then he's going to get too hyped up to be analytical and make the rational decision in his movements, right? So now we're comparing, of course, we're comparing apples with oranges. But let's, let's talk about the same sport. The defender in American football, he has to get up and just hit somebody right? But the quarterback actually has to take the ball, scan, and make a decision, an analytical decision in split seconds, mm. right? So even within the same sport, the, the, the preparation, the need of activation mentally is different. And even within those positions, each person is going to be different. We, we had, I've had players where the very hyped before games and that gets them to their level where they play really well. But we have others that they get really hyped and then they may, they might get a red car, a yellow car very early in the game. Mm-hmm. So once you get to know the people that you're working with, you kind of know, okay, what kind of interventions you can create with, with each one. So to, to be more specific with the questions, I think, yeah. Um, uh, society progresses uh, to give an example uh, Discovery Channel History Channel all those Animal Planet television shows um, back in 2010 if they wanted you to remember something they would repeat it two to three times in one hour program right in different occasions nowadays they repeat it from seven to 10 times. Why? Because society has become um, more distracted, less concentrated. So that affects how long are you going to do a video session with players? Back in, before it was 10, 20 minutes, it was fine. Now you got to keep it short to the message, very visual, very quick, because maybe the attention has changed because. You know, if, if you watch Champions League and every two minutes you're you're checking your phone to check other scores or you got a message and you're like this, you're watching the game or you're watching your phone, then you're actually training your mind to do two things at the same time, but in neither of them you have 100% of concentration, mm-hmm. right? So, and that's that's one thing that is happening with society nowadays where, where technology it's actually affecting not only their concentration levels, but their, their emotional knowledge about ourselves and about others. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
um when you mentioned the attention span of players so do you should you adjust according to how society is going or should you try and bring players back to where it where it was earlier so let's say when you talk about attention let's say now their attention spans let's say 5 minutes or 10 minutes why, why should you know coaches and psychologists adjust to the players based on how they are shouldn't it be that you should try and bring the co- the players back to having an attention span of let's say 40 minutes where you said now that you should be to the point because don't you think that having something you know explaining something which is 40 minutes will have so many variables and context involved as compared to 5 minutes yeah yeah i think that i think that the more you you combine different methods you keep fresh in your routine because if you always do the same then it becomes really boring uh for players so sometimes yeah you can have a longer session than sometimes a shorter session so um i don't think neither party has to go to the extreme of the other i believe that you know finding the middle ground where where it works it's um it's outstanding so it's um I, like i say i don't think that they should adapt to me and i should adapt to them 100% because that in that with that approach we're talking about a little bit about our ego and uh we care more about what's right not who's right mm-hmm. so it's whatever we feel what's right it's not okay no they have to follow my method no depending on okay you know this group works better if i do a 20 minute session okay it worked well okay maybe we'll do it again but if we feel like okay you know we talked about three points and they only got one point maybe we got to revise ourselves how did we deliver the other two points or so you you can create um you can create a strategy set where you're not only meeting with the group the whole group but you can create um small group meetings right you can meet with the defenders you can meet with the midfielders you can meet individually with players so and then what you do is um you try uh throughout the week you're trying to be repetitive in different methods right for example if we do if we do a video session okay we talked about how to press for three minutes and then okay in the practice we did pressing but maybe next the next day we ask them questions how are we going to press so let them speak so from speaking from seeing from listening and from actually doing you're using different sources that are going to feed the attention the concentration of how to do things mm-hmm. right 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 yeah so i mentioned that i want to get back to the psychosocial part of it so you mentioned five five factors right tactical technical um, fitness psychological and psychosocial right yeah um, so this i feel is probably only known to the professional i mean those who are at the elite level but i'm pretty sure 
none of us at the grassroots you know when we were coming up playing a sport like i played tennis none of us knew about it and i feel that could have changed a lot of things because you think that you're working hard you're working on your technique you're working on your fitness but then there are other factors probably psychosocial factors or psychological factors nutritional that that you aren't doing yeah right so yeah isn't this something yeah. that even grassroots should know oh yeah oh yeah that's why we 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 try to assess and concentrate a lot on the grassroots um i strongly believe that if we educate coaches Uh, and let me give you let me give an example since you play tennis i love tennis so i was i was consulting this tennis academy one time and they were doing volleys on the net so they had so imagine they had five cones imagine five cones in a line and the athlete had to shuffle behind the cone come up the coach was on the other side hit a ball he would volley you know, past the net, and then we'll shuffle around again. And there were three players, right? They were going like this and boom. Okay, so I'm watching the exercise and I see the coach, hey, put your elbow like this, your shoulder, move your feet, come forward, attack the ball, you know, keep your eye on it. All the, the perfect instructions for the technique, mm. right? But I started noticing instead that every person starts jumping the last cone. Mm. Instead, instead of coming around, like the instruction was said, they're actually just jumping the cone. So, so I started looking and I see everybody jumping the last cone. Boom. And, I, and I started thinking, is it too far for them that they have to jump the last cone to get here on time? But... Okay, so they get a water break and I go and I ask the coach, hey, can I take off one cone? I just want to see something. So I took off one cone. So there's four now. Because I'm thinking now they have more time to go around. Well, what happened? Three cones. What do you think happened? They kept jumping this last cone. So they're learning if the coach is not paying attention to those details, kids start learning that you don't have to do things right. You just have to get it done. And that's, that's a dangerous uh, learning moment mm -hmm. because they might learn to start cutting corners in life to get to the results faster. And they don't care about the quality. They, they care about the results. So then... You know, you don't create when you don't create that discipline in the practice in the training setting. So it's it's very tough to create good habits uh, on that athlete in the long term. So the coach in that moment, he was more concerned about the technical stuff because he wasn't talking tactics, right? He wasn't talking about managing the game, tactical, you know, how to deal. But the 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 what's it called the tactical part the technical part that was all his con concentration 
the exercise had fitness, but it had a psychological aspect that we're not paying attention to. And that's why that's why the grassroots it's it's is the where you should start teaching them how to deal with frustration, how to be disciplined, the values, the values will give you more than the technique or the tactics, because the value is what's gonna, if you're given the value of discipline, if you're given the value of hard work, if you have consistency, then through that value, they will learn to become excellent at whatever sport they're doing, right? So I remember um, I was actually in this city working with a pro team and I, I had a player they say, hey, coach, I want to train individually. Can you help me? And I say, sure, pick me up at six in the morning. And he's like, what the heck? We have all day. And I'm like, no, because I want to know if you if this really means something to you. And, and he was there at 5.50 a.m. every morning. Um, so I was like, okay, he does want it. And we actually did some finishing exercise. And by the third round, he started jumping the cone. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, hey, hey, no, no, let's wait. If we're going to do it, if we're going to do something, do it right. If not, let's not waste each other's time. So from the day one, he learned that. And, 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 and I feel that that gave him a platform because you want them to understand that when they're on the field, it's not about getting to the box. No, if the coach asks you, hey, I want you to get to the box and make a different run when you enter the box. Then they're going to learn to do things right. Mm-hmm. And the more you do things right, the more right things happen to you. Right. Does that make sense? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Good. All right. So moving ahead, talk to us. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit about goal setting is it necessary at the grassroots level as well setting goals or is it better to let them explore and have fun with the game Uh, i obviously know that it's important as you grow older and you start taking things uh, taking the sport more seriously is it or is it necessary at the grassroots level and you can also talk to us about goal setting at the professional level yeah well you know, I think you, you hit something that is crucial at any level, you know, having fun, having fun, you know, some people confuse that having fun is laughing. Um, you know, you can have a good time. Uh, having fun is also feeling that you're improving. If you feel that you're improving and you're becoming more competent, you're having fun because that makes you feel better. Um, and so it, it's, for me, at any level, Sid, you got to have fun. You got to enjoy what you're doing. You know, you want to go home and go to bed happy with doing what you're doing. If you're doing this podcast and and for you, it's like, oh, man, this is so boring. I don't want to do this. Then there's no point of doing it, right? Um, so I think that the, the enjoying what you're doing is, is one of the key. And in regards to goal setting, I think that you can teach early ages um, how to have goals from from an an experience point of view. For example, for example, let's say you have a team of of eight years old that 
can only make two passes in a row and then they lose the ball, right? But then you concentrate your training and passing and passing and you teach him possession, you teach him body position, you know, correct uh, re movement to receive the ball, how to peripheral view, you do all this work. And then, then after a month or two, they start putting four, five, six passes together. And when you talk to them about, hey, listen, remember how many passes were we able to make two months back? And, and they say, well, two. Okay, how many can you do it now? Yeah, like six, seven. They, they can actually see the improvement through the dedication. Then you already have the material you need to teach him goal setting. Because I, I know you're asking about goal setting, about sitting with them, writing smart goals, you know, specific, all those, all those details. I think that at early ages, you can, you can introduce them to that from an experience point of view, that they can actually see, oh, yeah, you know, we dedicated on this. Okay, so what's one thing that you can dedicate on in the next two weeks? Okay, mm -hmm. and then you can teach him let him speak and let him, okay, you're saying that you want to score more goals, but what is it about scoring more goals? Because there is, there's, and I'm sure you've heard about process and results, right? Process-oriented, result-oriented. When people become very result-oriented, their, their motivation and their, their enthusiasm, enthusiasm level might go up and down because if they win, they feel here. If they lose, they go down. And instead of, it's like, okay, okay, you say you want to you wanna score more goals. That's a good goal. Okay, what about scoring goals? And then, okay, how are we hitting the ball? How are we using our body position? Where are you aiming all the time? How many times after you finish training do you go home and practice your finishing? Then you can maneuver hits thoughts into the process of things because if you can teach him that high work pays off high effort is is high reward because you know i call this time the app time right the, everything is an app there's an app for everything and, and life is not an app life is you gotta work you gotta become excellent you know to get good results and but sometimes people think that well if this app doesn't work i just try this new one and they don't stick to things they don't continue on one path of things um then it becomes really hard but um you can teach him goal setting it's the type of method that you're going to use to send that message across to kids i i do believe that if you make him write a goal um, you don't have to structure it so much when they're kids. I, I believe they, if they write it, for example, let me give you an example. So with this other tennis academy I was consulting, um, I had him write, I had him do plank, the exercise of plank, and I timed them, right? I timed them all. And I said, okay, now I want you to write one goal on a piece of paper, that, that you want to achieve, that you really want to achieve. And some people put, I want to be this person. I want to, you know, be this type of player. I want to get to, I want to get a scholarship in the U.S. 
So I had them all with a piece of paper and I said, now you're going to do the plank. But instead of worrying about the time, I want you to look at your goal all the time, the whole time. And the time, the time in all the kids improved more than 50% in doing the plank. So there we teach them, hey, you know, in life, when you concentrate on your goal, you're more likely to achieve it than not. Mm. Because all your concentration goes there. Our concentration is limited. Um, so, you know, and, and, and at the professional level, um, you know, you want to work with them uh, at, the, at the individual goal level, goal setting level, and also as a group. Because it's, it's, it's about the team. It's not about the individual. It's about the team. But they also have individual goals, right? It depends on the team. It depends on where they're at in their career. You can have a player that's um, starting. Uh, it's his first year at the professional level. So you might want to concentrate on how to become very professional. Uh, but you can also have a player that's in, the, in their late stages of his career or her career. And so they're all going to have different goals and it's, it's more about understanding them as people. And, and you can teach him, of course, you can teach him methods for goal setting um, as long as you have built the bridges of communication. If you don't have, if me and you don't have uh, a channel of trust, it doesn't matter what I'm going to teach you. If we don't trust me, then the message for you is just going to be like another YouTube video. But if we have developed a relationship where you actually know that I really care about your goals and about your future, and we have built that relationship, then my messages, our messages are going to go across easier and they're going to be more receptive, right? So, so you can work at a professional level. Uh, with goals as long as you have built a good relationship with people. Okay. Is it possible to set goals for intangible skills? Give me one. Like what? So for example, like it is goals that are quantifiable where well, let's say you say that if it's fitness or sports related, if it's football, you say, yes, right now I'm literally, I'm scoring maybe five goals a season. I have to up it to maybe nine or 10 goals a season for a midfielder maybe. And suppose it's fitness. I'm doing 10 pushups in three weeks. I should do 25 pushups plank. I'm doing 30 seconds in two weeks time. I do one minute. Can you set goals for the mind, like getting more positive or let's say focusing on specific behaviors or, you know, setting your mind up to succeed where, yeah. how do you do that? Like, yeah. Is it, yeah. yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I, I'm a strong believer in, in visual reminders, right? For example, if I am, um, in the next couple of months, I'm going to be joining, you know, knock on wood, I'm going to be joining my new team. Um, not allowed to say the team or where the country is now, but that that name of the team, I have on a piece of tape 
and that tape is on the doorknob in my office. So, so every time I'm gonna leave the office, I touch the reminder of what's, where is my concentration right now? Where's my, my goal setting? Where am I, where do I wanna spend most of my daily time into, into what area of my life, right? So I put that as a visual reminder. And, and the, the thing that you talked about intangible um, skills, it's, you know, I work a lot with people that want to feel more productive and, and feeling more productive. It's, it's very tough to put a number to it, but it's a feeling. In that feeling, you can put a number. Mm. You know, if you wake up and, you know, I, I, I have a whiteboard that I see every morning and I have my my to-do list every morning. And, and if I go to, before I leave my office at night, if I see a lot of check marks that I've done this and I achieved this, then I'm going to create a feeling of productivity, mm-hmm. right? And so the, we, we most, of, most people said are visual learners. Um, and, and, and that's why, for example, parents, I get a lot of cases where they say, you know, like, I've told my kids a thousand times about this as the message is not getting through. And sometimes the, the message are all, all verbal instead of using different methods for utilizing like visual messages because visual messages get more, uh, uh, they get across and they get an impact in the mind for a longer period. So um, you can create behaviors of success like um how are you dealing with your mornings? How productive do you feel your mornings? What are the three things that that you that make you happy? Are you prioritizing those three things early in the morning so you can get them out of the way and feel that no matter what else you did in the day, you concentrate on your on your three uh, main goals that you have. So there's there's a lot of behavioral um, assistance uh, to create your own wheel of success. Um, you know, like uh, I took it out yesterday, but I had a piece of tape um, on my desk, right? That says, what's my goal today? So every time, and I'm leaving a book on top of my computer. So before I open the computer, I put a book on top of it because it's a visual reminder that before I get to technology, I want to read, you know, and and that's one thing at the personal level, Right now, with so many like you know YouTube videos that you can, uh, yesterday I was listening to to the coach from Man United, um, in a high performance podcast where, uh, and it's fascinating. It's fascinating to listen. It's the second time I listen to it, um, but every morning I just try to to use some educating skills where I read a book, or I do audio book, or listen to a podcast. And that's a habit that you create over time. It's not something that happens overnight, but it it it, it sure it's habits that you create with different skills. So the 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 visual reminder piece is it's tremendous. It's tremendous because if you have a checklist that every night you go to, and and let's say today I was lazy and I have five things I wanted to do and I only checked one. Right. That moment, I'm like going to be like, oh, crap, I didn't do this for. But that feeling of guilt is going to it works as a reminder for next day to concentrate on those four things that I didn't do the day before. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's 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 there are self-regulating 
uh, approaches to continue in the path of your success that you want to create for yourself. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Wonderful insights. I will now let's move ahead a bit. Uh, why don't we yeah. talk about your stint in India? How was your experience? Which, how well, your- I was... I was very blessed to to actually have two different occasions where I experienced uh, with the Indian Super League. I loved it both of the time. Um, I honestly, I honestly believe in Indian football um, because I love the 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 passion that the domestic players put into the game. Um, I remember my first experience with Northeast United where where I actually went there by myself the first two weeks. I was I was to train the all the Indian players first for two weeks before we went to Durban in, in, in South Africa for preseason. And and I remember that um, um, the first two days I called the head coach and I said, these are all hard workers. Like they work really, really hard. And and I was, and that was great. So I, I know that the, the Indian football it's, um, is developing. Um, it has to go through years of development. I mean, back in 2014, we went to Argentina for preseason and we played a third division team in preseason. And that team had 104 years of history. So imagine a team with 104 years of history and they were in the third division of Argentina. So imagine how much, you know, thing they could go through experience in those hundred years plus. Um, so time will, will develop um, Indian football. Uh, but I also believe that good sports psychology will also enhance the growth of Indian football. Because if, if you go to a mindset um, that Indian footballers are not good enough, then you're not going to get the best out of them. But if you go with the mindset, with the reality, because I've seen them twice now, that they are really good, because Indian football players are really good, then you get the most out of them, right? And that's how you're able to, to enhance and increase performance, right? We um, When we took uh, Northeast, they were in last place, and you know, we got him almost to qualify from the this the first year to the second year, um, and he was you know a lot of it had to do with the work done with the with the Indian footballers. So um, I I strongly believe that Indian football needs people that believe within, that believe um, on what they have, and to make the best out of them. And uh, there are things, and I'm gonna be honest, there are things that they need to improve for example um a lot of players sometimes they have two passports they have two different age um because they sometimes when they're 18 they change their age and that happens here in venezuela as well they change their age and they say okay i'm 18 but i'm gonna play with the under 16 so i can stand out more mm. right so maybe i get picked by a pro team because i'm standing out more and and what happens it is 
let's say you're 18 and you play with 16s and, and you find that in two weekends you haven't stand out. So the effect on the fact that you're older, you're not playing better than them, it actually has a confidence damage that is going to last for a long time. And it actually stops that person from reaching their, their own potential because now they have a hole where it's like, man, I couldn't even perform with 16 years old being 18, where bio biological at that age, you might see a difference, but at that age, you can, you know, you can level performance. So um, that's something that from the logistical point of view, they need to improve, um, but the hard work, their dedication, their, their, their coachability, their, the, the skill of listening, trusting. Uh, I, I love working in Indian football because of that. Like I know at some point I'm, I'm going to be back in, in, in Indian football, maybe at the grassroots level, maybe at the professional level, whatever level. But I, I strongly believe that India has tremendous potential to impact uh, football in the world. Why does history matter? History, well, you know, the, the let's speak from a sports psychology point of view. Uh, you know, that Michael Phelps one time was saying that um, he uses imagery a lot, visualization. And that in one Olympic event, he jumped into the water and, and, the, and his gaggles got filled with water, right? What do you think? How do you think he felt at the moment where he couldn't see anymore? What do you think would happen to anybody who jumped into water? It's in a competition. It's in an Olympic competition. You jump into the water. Your gaggles get filled with water. You can't see anything. What kind of emotional reaction do you think people might have? No, you'd, you'd panic. That's the first thing. Panic, I mean. yeah. right? Well, he said that he felt relaxed, right? And he actually broke the world record being blinded and he won the gold medal, right? So he felt relaxed because he had gone through that situation over and over and he knew how to react. He felt prepared. I'm counseling, I was, uh, last week, I've been working with this kid in Australia and, and a few months back, he, he said that he, he wanted to improve his head in, in the game. And I worked with him in working how to set goals, how to dedicate, how, you know, and, and he actually did it. And last week he got into a new team in the, the, the first day of practice, they did this, this heading game where, where there's a ball and I try to score on you and then you try to score on me on headers. And, and I asked him, how do you feel when the coach said that you guys were going to do the exercise? And he said, I felt happy, right? And why am I mentioning these two examples with you? Because when you experience different situations, and you learn how to cope with those situations, right? Then you're more likely to cope successfully and be successful in that specific moment. So 
Indian football needs to create those moments of of learning of you know even Pep Guardiola I was listening to Pep Guardiola this morning and he said listen even though yeah we're Man City we're a big club and this and that Man City you know it's only the second time that they're in a semi-final of a Champions League right I don't know how many finals I've had in, in Champions League is it is this the first one or the second one I think the first one the first one so it's going to be new it's going to be new and that might affect them it's 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 a new experience so why am i telling you with this that history matters because in history you create moments learning moments that prepare you for the for the next occasions when you go through that moment and and you know like um uh, you can players Uh, to manage situations, they have to go through that situation a um, uh, number of times, uh, not only individually, but as a team. And, and, and that's why you can be, um, you can have, uh, you know, uh, Iceland, for example, that they had that really good Euro Cup, right? And, and now it's about, are they maintaining that level of performance? Maybe yes, maybe not, right? So history does matter um, in order to create moments, learning moments, um, and it's and it's about you know how much can you get from those learning moments? Are you actually getting the most? Is is the federation really learning from from this past qualification? Are they adapting? Are they growing? Okay, um, so let me be more specific. You know, I mentioned five pillars of performance, five pillars, but um, there's one more. I always include one more because here in five, we're speaking about the player. But there's another one. There is management, management, because if, if you have a, a football academy, say, and you, let's say you hire me to run your soccer or your football academy, but... In my philosophy, every kid should have one ball hmm. because once the training is over, we're going to dedicate 20 minutes of individual skills so we can actually teach him how to reach goals in life. They, if you dedicate something daily, 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 you will reach your goal. But management doesn't invest the money in getting enough footballs, Right. So it affects performance. It affects development, right? That's why these six pillars, you know, have to come together for the better of the sport. Okay, so that's why, you know, history matters. That you got to get um, uh, GMs, CEOs, PCOs, coaches, sport nutritionists, everybody very, very educated look at belgium for example they had a plan they had a 12-year plan to educate coaches and that plan gave them the kevin de bruyne the hazard the 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 other fluff fluffy lukaku, lukaku. player lukaku all those players that generation came because they had a plan they didn't plan for the next world cup they planned three world cups ahead And they said, we're going to learn as we go. 
So they, they, you can create your own history if you're learning from the experiences. Wow. Wonderful. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, now, uh, it's because I, w- I always wondered, what is it about history? Because players are eventually, you know, they're going to transfer, they're gonna, you know, new players are going to come in. So it's just because, you know, they, they had some history 20 years back. How is that going to matter right now? Because the players are different. But obviously the other factors like the management, the whole association as a whole. Um, yeah. The uh, history of that matters a lot as well, right? Yes. Yes. Wonderful. Great. So... Guillermo, I won't take any, mon- uh, any more of your time. I've um, really enjoyed this discussion. It was wonderful listening to you, your, um, your perspectives, your, your experiences. Uh, thank you so much for uh, doing this with us. Um, I really appreciate no, it, Guillermo. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, India has a, a very special place for me in my life. It's, it's been... Um, both times I've been there, like I, I get more and more connected with it's Venezuelan culture and Indian culture are very similar. Um, you see a lot of the society similarities uh, at home. So it was, it was easy for me. I feel in touch with my friends there. I, I miss going out with them in every city that we went to eat in the streets because mm-hmm. I like eating in the streets and trying, trying food. Yeah. trying culture, learning from people. And um, you, you guys have a wonderful country, honestly. And so it's anytime that, that I can add some value to it, I'm here. And so thank you so much for the time and the space. Thanks, Guillermo. That's great to hear. And also, why don't you tell our listeners where people can get in touch with you or find you on social as well? Yeah, my... Uh, my Instagram is Guillermo Coach. It's G-U-I-L-L-E-R-M-O Coach. Um, I'm about to be launching my, the, my own website, which is going to be GuillermoCoach.com. Um, and, and then on my Instagram, there, my, my contact number is there as well. So, yeah, people can, you know, get in touch and ask any questions. I'm always fascinated to to converse with people that because these type of conversations, these type of moments create, you know, growing um, um, experiences. So it's life is about continue growing. And, and so thank you so much. Wonderful. I'll have everything listed and Guillermo hope to have you back for another episode soon. Hey, anytime. Thank you, Sid. Appreciate it. Take care.